Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. Coming to you live from the closet this week. It is Victory Lane. You know it and you love it. Today we have Ashley Strohline on the show to talk about her career in the industry of journalism, reporting, television at that, down in the 704 in Charlotte. Some relationships she's got with some big names in the world of NASCAR and how she went from teaching to reporting with some incredible athletic achievements mixed in there. She's an incredible lady with an incredible story, so I'm excited for you guys to hear that. Plus, we'll talk some Richmond, talk some Bristol, but before we do any of that, we're going to pay homage to a driver gone too soon. Here's Papa Siegel with this week's Wayback segment. Thank you, Doob, and welcome everyone to episode 125. We start this week with an honorable mention to Ken Schrader, who never met a car he wasn't ready to race. Schrader raced 267 of his 763 cup starts in the 25 and scored all of his four wins in the car. He's still going strong today at various short tracks, and I promise we'll find another time to dive deeper into the worthy accomplishments of the Fenton, Missouri native. But today we look back on what I believe may be the biggest what might have been story in NASCAR. Tim Richmond's career consisted of only 185 cup races, but he won 13 times, and nine of those came driving the 25 car. You remember a red, white, and gold Hendrick Chevy sponsored by Folgers Coffee, don't you? Richmond came from a wealthy family and lived a free, willing lifestyle that ultimately led to his demise. He earned the nickname Hollywood for his telegenic good looks, but don't let that fool you. He was magic behind the wheel. It did things that left veteran racers shaking their heads. Benny Parsons once commented that watching Richmond navigate the S's at Riverside was unbelievable. He got his start in open-wheel cars. He was the 1980 Indy 500 Rookie of the Year but developed a reputation for wrecking cars. Fearing he'd lose his IndyCar ride, he jumped at the chance to race stock cars. Richmond joined Hendrick Motorsports in 1986 and was teamed up with legendary crew chief Harry Hyde. In fact, Tom Cruise's Cole Trickle character in Days of Thunder was loosely based on Richmond's time with Hendrick and Hyde. He shared Driver of the Year honors with Dale Earnhardt at the 86 awards banquet, and it seemed that the sky was the limit for Richmond's future. But he fell ill following the banquet and still wasn't well enough to start the 87 season in Daytona, despite a lengthy off-season hospitalization. He was reported as having double pneumonia, but the rumors started circulating. He managed to start eight races in 1987 and even won twice, but it was clear that something was wrong. They were different times, my friends, and there was rampant fear and paranoia around the HIV-AIDS crisis at the time. 
Richmond resigned from Hendrick after the 87 season amid speculation of drug use and AIDS. A botched NASCAR drug test before the start of 1988 complicated Richmond's attempts at a comeback, and he would never race again. Tim Richmond died in August 1989 at the age of 34. His family disclosed following his death that Richmond did, in fact, die of AIDS, which he was said to have contracted from a random woman on a one-night stand. We'll never know what the future would have held for Richmond, but as a further affirmation of his talent, he was named one of NASCAR's greatest 50 drivers in 1988. That's all for this week. Back to you, Doof. Thank you, Dad. Yes. Whenever I hear about Tim Richmond, I'm always just saddened because it seems like the dude was so electric. He had so much charisma, so much talent, too. I mean, him and Davey Allison are kind of the two drivers from that bygone era that seemed like they were lightning rods and they could just do anything that the race car wanted to. And they could, you know, transcend the sport almost. It seems like they were maybe a precursor to Jeff Gordon uh, without the Southern California draw. So RIP to Mr. Tim Richmond. Great 30 for 30 that ESPN did on him a while ago. That's how I learned most of my history about him. So I encourage you guys to check that out. But thank you, Papa Siegel, as always, for this week's Wayback segment. Let's start off this episode as we always do with a good old-fashioned reggaeton. Again, sorry if it sounds a little weird today. I'm just in the closet. I've, I've been taking Zoom calls with these shoes in the background, my Nationals, football team, Capitals, Wizards jerseys behind me. It's, uh, it's a struggle here in these one-bedroom apartments in D.C. When, when your girlfriend has meetings out in the, the kitchen area all day long. Anyways, let's talk about Richmond, the Federated Auto Parts 400 from the action track. But fortunately, it just wasn't really that much action in the race. And it's been that way for a little bit. But hey, you know who doesn't care? Martin Truex Jr. He wins for the fourth time this season and once again at Richmond. Comes from the back to the front after starting at the front for a restart violation on the initial start. And again, wins his fourth race of 2021. He is now on to the round of 12, as is the number 19 team. Feeling good, as is Joe Gibbs Racing right now. They are sitting pretty in the playoffs. Hey, this one's for Martin. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, James kind of riles you up on the radio and, you know, you get kind of flustered with some of the stuff he says. Can you speak to that a little bit more? And, and is it a positive thing? And, you know, when you win races, he's going nuts on the radio. What do you think of that and just his his antics on the radio, I guess you can say, and how it affects you. Well, when he goes nuts when we win, that's the best part. That's uh, that's exciting. That's, you know, he works so hard, obviously, and, um, you know, he's so dedicated to what he does. You know, he's supposed to be fired up. He's supposed to be excited. So uh, we all are, and, and that's, you know, these races are so hard to win, um, you know, but but him and the engineers and all those guys, man, they work so, so hard. I, I can't, even, can't even explain, you know, the, the determination they have. So. Um, yeah, that's, that's great. And, and I, I, I would say that, you know, I would say that it doesn't really get me too fired up on the radio. It's just, I think it just sounds that way. I have a hard time hearing him all the time when he gets excited. So that's the biggest problem. Um, other than that, um, I would say that, you know, I stay fairly calm and, um, you know, not, not much really, you know, gets me rattled. So, uh, I think it's more just, um, I sound excited cause I'm, trying to yell loud enough they can hear me because i can't hear them so it's like it messes with you 
James, I know that when you won your first race with Martin um, back a couple of years ago, you were talking about how everybody in Australia was going nuts and they were all up and they were texting you. Do they still stay up to watch your guys' races and do you still hear from them whenever you guys run well and win races? Yeah, for sure. Most of them are locked down these days. But, um, yeah, they, they, they watch. They watch every race. They follow. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of people and – I've got a hundred messages here from people out there right now. So, you know, they're big supporters of our team and, and they love it. Cool. Thanks guys. Sucks for Kyle Busch though. He basically had the race won after some struggles of his own, but blew it with a speeding penalty late. And I was listening to his radio and he did not say anything, which leads me to believe that he was just cursing himself out over the radio the entire last green flag run, which is kind of funny to think about. But he still came home with a top 10 and JGR finished one, two, three. Denny Hamlin was second. Christopher Bell was third, who was my pick to win. So I didn't look super stupid there, I guess. Uh, Some other things to hit on, though. William Byron, he finished 19th and he said that he was terrible. Terrible. His words, not mine. And he's now basically in a must-win situation headed to Bristol. Alex Bowman was pretty eh, just like the race, too. And it got me thinking, is Joe Gibbs Racing now better than Hendrick Motorsports in the Cup Series right now? Have they surpassed HMS? And I know that it's a little bit of recency bias, right? And it's very early in the playoffs to be making such declarations, which is why I asked you. I didn't make a declaration. All I'm saying is that JGR strength is 750 tracks. The first round is three 750 tracks. Hendrick Motorsports, they're best on 550 tracks. The next round is 550 tracks and then a road course and a super speedway, right? And then you get the round of eight, which is 550 track heavy. And then you go to Phoenix, which is 750 or Martin Truex Jr. won earlier this year. So I don't know if JGR has surpassed Hendrick. I'm just saying that if you look at the stats for the first two races, Kyle Larson's been up there. He's been running well. Chase Elliott has had speed. He's led laps at Richmond. He was running good at Darlington until he hit the wall. But William Byron and Alex Bowman both can't seem to get out of their own way right now. And JGR is sitting on all cylinders, pun intended. So marinate on that for a little bit. Over to the Xfinity Series where Dale Jr. was in the event, but Noah Gregson stole the show. Wins again in the Xfinity Series at Richmond. His second consecutive win. He is as hot as they come right now. Hey, Noah, do you feel like anything's changed with you personally on the track, off the track, anything like that in in this last month here or so? Because it feels like you're as hot as you've ever been on track, and it feels like also off track, things are going in the right direction for you too. The only thing is, like, I've gotten – my suit's got tighter. I've gotten – I've gained about 10 pounds, so um, more left side weight maybe to get me through the corners better. I'm serious. I don't, I don't feel like I've changed anything. Uh, I've just gotten maybe a little chubbier, unfortunately, but I, it's working. So I'll keep doing it. But uh, now we're just hitting, hitting good strides right now as a team and um, fast race cars, good calls. Uh, everybody's firing on all cylinders. I haven't been making very many mistakes. Um, the team's been doing an absolutely amazing job and um, you know, we're, we're getting it right. So um you know, you're only as good as your last race and next weekend it might be different, but definitely trying to, to carry on the momentum and um, try and go get them next weekend at Bristol. What does Josh Wise think about those 10 pounds? I guess he kind of likes them now. He, I don't know. Bob said we got to start climbing fences. So I uh, kind of took a break last week. I uh, went home 
and sauce my family. But um, this week I'll be back in North Carolina and maybe go over to the Speedway, like Bob said last weekend, and climb fences and lose stuff. I got a six pack. It's just in there deep under a lot of cushion. I relate. Thanks, Noah. Yeah, good for Noah for uh for gaining those 10 pounds and being happy about it. How about Dale Jr., though? Finished 14th, had some run-ins with Josh Williams that were pretty funny on track, had a speeding penalty late that uh, kind of hindered his ability to finish in the top 10 or maybe even contend for a top five finish. Never really had race winning speed like he did the year prior at Richmond, but he had fun. That's what matters. And I'll tell you guys something, uh, and I wrote about it in Five Points to Ponder this week on frontstretch.com. But some pre-race interactions that Dale Jr. had with some fans, it just reminded me of the Dale Jr. effect. And I kind of lived through it in the early 2000s and late 2010s or mid-2010s, but I didn't really live through it as a media member. And to be kind of up close and personal and see these fans and how crazy they are for Dale Jr. and his reaction to these fans, it's, it's very funny. It's heartwarming. It's cool. I don't know if you guys saw my Twitter, but there was a woman who was pregnant, and she painted the number eight on her pregnant belly, and her and her husband, uh, presumably, are screaming to Dale Jr. like, Dale, we love you, we love you, and they're pointing to her belly, and he gives them a thumbs up and a wave, and he's chuckling, and then the husband goes, if you sign it, we'll name it after you, and he saw that, and he laughed again, and he was like, well, I'm kind of busy, kind of got to get in this car and go race for my one time a year, which he did, um, but just so, so many cheers, like insane. And I know that it's like, yeah, obviously Dale Jr. has a lot of fans, but he has a lot of fans. I mean, it's hard to, to remember when you only see him race one time a year. I mean, when he's announced for driver intros and Richmond is probably half full, if that at this point, I mean, the place was absolutely rocking. I mean, I would pay good money to go back to 2014 Daytona 500. I was at that race. Uh, I think it was 2014, right? Yeah. When he won that race, I would go back to be able to listen to the fans. Or even in 2001, the Pepsi 400 at Daytona. I mean, that's bucket list stuff. If I could hear the fans that day or any time he won at Talladega, that would be something. So just shout out to all the Dale Jr. fans. Junior Nation, you are loud, you are proud, and you are strong. And I appreciate you for it. Interview time. Time to welcome on Ashley Strohline, or as she likes to be called, Stro of NBC Charlotte, WCNC down there. She works on Bristol Colossus, Conference USA sideline reporting for NFL Network. She is a multi-sport athlete, a great one at that. She graduated top of her class. She got an academic scholarship. She was a teacher doing the Lord's work. I mean, she is just a do-it-all type of gal, and she's great at what she does and a good friend of mine. So I figured, you know what? She's going to be on the big screen at Bristol this weekend. I figured it's a good time to have her on and tell her story. So that's exactly what she did. Again, a lot of different twisty, turvy, roller coaster type roads for Ashley to get to this point in her career, but it's made her who she is, as cliche as that is, and it's made her strong and resilient. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear this conversation with NBC Charlotte's Ashley Stroline. A pleasure to welcome on to the show this week. She does so many things in so little time. And you probably have seen her if you're in the Charlotte area or if you're from Southern Virginia. Ashley Strohline, I have to say. I mean, this is not the first time that we talked on Zoom. We were on off the record a couple weeks ago. The spelling of your last name, for some reason, for me, is very difficult. 
Did you do you find this to be a trend with other people or is it just me? You know, it's funny that you bring that up. Literally this morning, one of my friends works at a competing station here in Charlotte and he was like, we went through a whole five minute conversation of him trying to learn how to spell my name. And I'm like, <laughs> just go with Stro, yeah. S-T-R-O. Everyone calls me Stro anyway. Yeah. Don't worry about the O's and the E's and the I's and the okay. H that you would never know is there. Just yes. Stro, keep it simple. <laughs> okay, okay. We'll call you Stro for the purposes of this conversation. Cause like I was writing go. it on my outline. I was writing it on the Zoom meeting. I'm prepping in my notes. And every time I wrote your last name, I had to go back and look. I was like, wait, is it the E before the I or the eight? Where does the H fit in? So I'm glad I'm not alone because I felt dumb for a little bit. You are far from alone. See, I got the simple first name, Ashley, right? Yes. That makes up for the crazy last name. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Stro, let's do that. It's weird, though, because at NBC Sports Washington here in the D.C. area, we have a producer and his name is Terrence Stroder and we call him Stro. So it's weird now, but you're Stro today. <laughs> I'm not the only Stro out there. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, Stro, you are a busy, busy woman, like I said. I mean, yesterday we were trying to coordinate the conversation for today. And uh, by the way, you didn't take long to respond, but you're like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Between anchoring and these Zooms and these meetings with NASCAR, and then I have to go to my friend's birthday celebration, and then I have to buy her a gift. When do you have time to breathe? I feel like this is a trend with local news reporters. You know what I mean? Thank goodness it's just a natural thing that your body does for you, right? Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. I might forget to be like, oh, breathing, essential to being alive today. Let me do that. Yeah. Um, no, it, you just, I don't know. I was thinking when I was hopping on here, I'm like, balance. If you ask me about balance, I don't think I have the answer for that. You just go and you, you treat every day as the same thing. And it's just kind of like, what's on the rundown today yep. what are the must do's today what are the i would like to get done today <laughs> and then you just kind of see where the cookie crumbles but yesterday was a full day for sure i was all over the place yeah all right i'll ask you about balance because you clearly have your life more put together than me because i'm balancing a bunch of different jobs all these freelance projects having a social life trying to work out trying to eat trying to sleep trying to breathe so how do you do it because you do it very well Look, I always tell people, it's funny, like in the social media world, how like together it looks like somebody has it True. and you see all the good moments, you see the highlight reel. Right. And yep. so I've worked really hard, but I've been through what you're going through right now. Right. Like I've worked all the part-time jobs to put together uh, a paycheck or to put together a reel or just mm -hmm. to be in the business doing stuff or having a, a podcast that I want to do on my own. Cause that's something I care about. Like it's just so many different outlets that we have yeah. right now to use. Um, so I've definitely been there and I'm still kind of there cause I'm not just doing this job, right? Like this weekend I'm, I'm going to head to Bristol and I'm going right. to work with them this weekend. And then if I can pick up a little side gig here that interests me, I'm going to say yes to that. So that's just how I'm designed. I love what I do. I think if I wasn't doing this, I don't know. I don't know what I would be doing. Cause every, everyone's like, well, what do you do when you take time off? And I'm like, funny, I end up at a race or a game. Yep. So exactly what I'm <laughs> getting paid to do. Yeah. Um, but as far as balance, I, I just think, I don't know. I, I don't know how people do it with kids. I give them all the props in the world. I only yeah. have to answer to myself right now. So, uh, and that's hard some days to figure out what I need to accomplish. But I think you just, I think, you know, I will say this, the pandemic taught me that you have to carve out time for yourself and your personal mm -hmm. life or going to the gym or eating healthy, all the things that are important to you, you can't neglect yourself. And I think prior to the pandemic, I was so go, 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 go. I don't care. I'm chasing my dreams and my goals, forget everything else. And now I'm like, okay, 
I might lose a little bit of sleep, but I'm going to make sure I go to the friend's birthday party. I'm going to yeah. make sure that I go do what I need to do. And then I'm going to show up and do everything that work needs me to do. Conscious decision that somehow, some way you have to figure out, I don't have the answers. And like I was saying about social media, people will be like, oh my God, you're killing it. You look so happy. And I'm like, yeah, you also didn't see me having the breakdown because I was mentally exhausted after yep. working two weeks straight and going Been to three different states and gathering all this content. So mm -hmm. it's it's not always, you know, all that glitters is not gold. So Yes, yes. It's well said, though. And, I mean, yeah. it is true because you see a persona that's put on by all these people. I'm guilty of it. You're guilty of it. We all are, right? But, yep. you know, people always say you find beauty in the struggle, one of those type of things. But I mean, we'll get into this later, too, because I want to talk about all your part time jobs and, you know, the path that led you to where you are now. But yeah. looking back on those struggles, the trials, the tribulations, all those different things, everybody always says and it's cliche, you know, oh, I wouldn't change it for the world. But when you look back on it and you're successful where you are now and then you actually reflect on those things that happened to you on the lead up to where you get to, you kind of are speaking the truth there because the trials and tribulations and the tough struggles that made you go through the parts that you did to get to where you are, you wouldn't be the same person. You wouldn't be the same reporter. You wouldn't have the life experiences, all those different things, being able to balance stuff away from work and at work. It really is cliche, but I feel like it's true in my limited experience that, you know, finding yeah. beauty in the struggle, so to speak. No, I love that quote. I know J. Cole has a whole song about it. I love it. Yeah. And it's so true. And I think one of the first things someone said to me when I got into this business was, enjoy the beginning because it's the most beautiful part. There's these moments that you're never going to have again. You're figuring out who you are, what type of reporter you want to be, what you want, you know, your role to be all of that stuff, right? Your brand, that's the word everyone uses these days. Mm -hmm. And she was so right. And I look back now at the beginning when I was an intern and I was teaching high school and I was trying to figure out how I was going to leave that job and make ends meet and chase the dream. And there is no, like it's not linear in our business at all. No, it's like, there's no play. Like, I don't know where I'm going next. Right? <laughs> yeah. so, so I think you have to appreciate the journey. And I think we live in a society where people only focus on where people are when they're at the top, but it, for most people, that's not where they started. It was a crazy journey of ups and downs, yeses, and a lot of no's and, and a lot of hard work and blood, sweat, and tears. And I, I think people just want to forget that that's part of what it takes. And that's not how, how it goes. You're going to lose a lot of sleep. You're going to put in a lot of hours. Uh -huh. You're going to have moments where you're like, am I doing what I'm supposed to like? Is it going to work out? I don't and know. And if somebody but... says it's all been peaches and cream, they're lying. <laughs> It's, yeah, yeah. Don't believe a word they say. They're not telling you the <laughs> truth. It's a, it's a roller coaster for sure. Yeah. Highs and lows. But but again, I think it's just your whole journey. And like you said, if I wouldn't have went through some of the things that I went through, I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't appreciate, you know, everything that, that has come my way or where I'm at right now. So I really wouldn't, I truly wouldn't change any part of my journey. Maybe figuring out this is what I wanted to do a little bit sooner. But other than that, it's been great. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, let's dive into it then, because I want to get to all the things that led you to where you are now. But we got to start with the here and the now. So if you're listening to this and you're in the Charlotte area, you probably are thinking, oh, I know Stro. I see her on TV. She's at the Panthers game. She's at races. If you go to Bristol and you frequent that racetrack, you see her on Colossus on the big screen. If yeah. you went to Charlotte Knights games, you say, oh, that voice, that face sounds familiar, right? So let's start with 
WCNC right now in Charlotte, the NBC affiliate there, also mm-hmm. an NBC employee. We love the Peacock in this household. Um, <laughs> so what are your day-to-day duties there specifically as, I believe the official title, right, is a general sports reporter. So what do you do day-to-day in the 704 down there? Well, every day is different. So, <laughs> so I mean, it, it truly is, right? Like you, And you can plan out your day and then it's, Oh, pop-up press conference or, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, what, who just got cut from the team or who do we sign? So yep. you just don't know. Um, but on a typical day, you know, during the week, I'm either anchoring or I'm reporting in the field. Um, I love getting to be out and, and be at the arena or be at the track or the stadium. Um, just really getting to be a part of all the action. Love that. Weekends, uh, usually I'm in studio so I'll anchor our six and 11 o'clock. If it's a game day, I'm going to be, you know, reporting from Bank of America Stadium. If it's a race day, I'll be at the track, that kind of thing. But I think I love when we get interns or people that want to shadow because I think they show up and it's like your outfit's picked out for you. Someone's doing your hair and makeup and you just go on and you're like, OK, here's your highlights. Not even close. Like that's the minimal part of my job. Oh, yeah. You're picking up a camera, you're shooting highlights, you're shooting interviews. Then you're going back and you're editing that, you're producing it, all the lower thirds that you see, you know, I'm putting those in, I'm writing the mm-hmm. script, I'm writing the teases for the anchors. So there's so, so, so much that goes into being a local sports reporter. And and we're one of the, you know, we're uh, in the top 25 markets in the country. So it, there's a lot of work, even though it's Charlotte. And, and again, you see the highlight reel. I try to share though, I try to be really honest, like, here yeah. I am with my tripod here. Here's what went into my day. I, I don't want people to, you know, be mistaken about what the grind really oh, yeah. is like, you know, I'm going to show up in my sweats. I'm going to produce the show at some point. I'm going to try and make myself presentable for TV. So every day is different, but, but that's the just, it could be any of that, right? Anchoring oh, is yeah. just what it is. That's my weekends, weekdays, what's going on in the city. So are you, forgive me for not knowing this, I probably should. Are you an MMJ? Like, do you shoot, edit, record all your own stuff? Or are you kind of a hybrid and somebody helps you out? Um, It's a hybrid. A lot of times, mm-hmm. it, it just depends on the magnitude of, yeah, of what of course. the day is or what the event is, right? So I'm really fortunate that, let's use the Roval race that's coming up, for example. I'll be out there all weekend with one of our photographers and he'll help shoot the highlights. He'll light the shot. He'll shoot the live shots. I'll still edit all of my stuff and produce mm-hmm. it. But on big events, I'll get to work with somebody. But it's uh, nice to have during the week, for example, I'll go shoot Panthers pressers. Yeah. I'm going to take my tripod camera, set that up, and I'll shoot my own shot and feed it back to the station. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, because when I was in college and I had Amy Long on the podcast last week, who you obviously know, and she was telling me about her time in Florida working as an MMJ, Swiss Army knife. You got to set up the shoots. You got to get – you got – when I was in college, white balancing was the death of me. Like I, <laughs> I still have nightmares of it. And luckily slash maybe unluckily, I don't know. I don't really do a ton of that anymore. I mean, I'm not in local news, so to speak. So I don't have to lug around a heavy tripod and be very, you know, up to speed on these different cameras and stuff. But doing it for only a semester or a year in college, I realized and gained a way bigger appreciation for local news reporters and how hard that job is because it's not just getting up in front of the camera, looking pretty, smiling, and talking about sports. It is so much more than that. And that's why I try to ask these types of questions to people like you and Amy and people that have come up and paved their way and and paid their dues because there is so much work. And again, that cliche thing, beauty in the struggle, lugging around a tripod and sweating right before your live shot, that's a struggle. 
And I mean, that's something that happens routinely. Oh, for sure. At that moment, you're just like, I don't even care what I look like. I pray that my equipment works. Yes. I'm not an engineer. I hope nothing goes wrong. I hope my IFB doesn't go out. I hope a crazy oh, sports fan doesn't do anything behind. Like you just, you're just at that point, you just pray to get through it. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I feel, yeah. Every day is different because you could be at Panthers practice. You could be at a NASCAR event. You could be talking to a local uh, a local high school player. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's a lot of different things, especially in a big market like yours in Charlotte. So no day really is ever the same. I mean, you can plan stuff out, but as we saw today, like Panthers cut a player. Well, yep. got to move this back 15 minutes. Got to Got to get this in here when I can. There's nothing that is ever... 100% predictable, which can be a blessing and a curse in some ways because it keeps things fresh, but yeah. it also is stressful logistically, I bet. Yeah, and it can because we're also a two-person department. Uh, it's mm. just myself and, and the sports director, Nick Carboni, and I think sometimes people don't realize that. It's two of us in a city like Charlotte and you're local, so your focus is all your pro teams, all your college teams, all your high schools, and you have a minimal amount of time to, to try and get all of that in. So it uh, it's there are days where you're just like, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> like, I don't even know what to put in my show because I have so much stuff. But uh, but I do think it's important for people to understand there's so much that goes into the job. Like the being on TV part, maybe that's your reward if that's your goal, like if that's really what you want. But if you don't love what you do, like I always say it weeds people out quickly because when you realize everything that you signed up for, oh yeah, you know really quickly if you love this job or not because like, – you know, TV's cool, but did you love going to the game? Did you love sweating at practice? Did you love carrying that gear? What about editing that? You know, there's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. The, the quote unquote dream of being on TV is probably 1% of 1% of the actual job. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that is the end product, but not even because then you got to pack everything up and then you got to go back and you got to ingest and you got to shoot and you got to do all this different stuff. So no, I sure. totally get it. When I think about like today, for example, my six o'clock show will be two minutes, the 11 o'clock show will be 2.30. So that's four and a half minutes of my day that's actually on TV compared exactly. to everything else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a calculator in front of me, but four minutes out of 24 hours in a day, it's not that much time. But <laughs> all that preparation to do that, it just for the more shows. MMJs need to be loved and need to be appreciated. So I'm glad we're doing yeah. that here today. All right. You yeah. also spent some time on the sidelines at Conference USA Games for – NFL Network, which is really, really cool. I saw that your LinkedIn header was with Lane Kiffin, so that's pretty okay. cool. You get you yes. get to do a lot of cool stuff with NFL Network and with CUSA, too. So how did that opportunity come about in the first place? Yeah, I just um, – that was just something that at the time I, I was – I had an agent, and he called me, and he said, hey, I submitted you for this job. They're really interested. Let's see if it works out. I got really lucky that season. I got – I had four games, um, one of those being with Florida Atlantic at the time. Yep. Lane was down there. So um, that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, they were a good team that year. But that opportunity was just one of those things where we put my, my name in the hat. I, they went through everybody's tape and they liked what they saw and, and gave me a as a rookie, a true rookie. I had never done sideline reporting before. Uh, gave me four games and that was a great experience. I learned so much because I worked with a lot of the people that were NFL Network regulars and that were in the booth. And, and so it was just a great growing experience for me. It was a lot of fun to to travel to different parts of the country and call yeah. these college football games and, and learn the teams and the programs. And uh, as the sideline reporter, you're out there in the trenches. Like there was one game, I think we had crazy winds, torrential downpour, and then it ended with a rainbow. And I'm just of like, course it did. I'm still here guys, but you know, so, 
but yeah, it was a great experience. I, I have been really fortunate that I've had a chance to kind of dabble in a lot of different things and had a lot of great experiences. There's, there's something I love about all of it. Yeah. Never a dull day at the, at the, at the field. I was going to say the track, but at, at the field, at the stadium. Both ways. <laughs> yeah, it goes both ways. So let's talk about Bristol too, because that's your home track and you're going to yeah. be there this weekend. People are going to see your face on Colossus, but you've been doing that for a while now. I remember going back maybe like even three or four years. I feel like you've been doing yeah. some, some, uh, at track in race entertainment for them. Being your home track, you obviously probably attended races there growing up, had a love for that racetrack. How did that opportunity specifically with SMI and with the folks at BMS come about? Yeah, I'm just a hustler. Like if I can find someone's email, I'm going to email you and ask if you have any opportunity. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> That's just what you got to do. You just dig and find and you Google and you LinkedIn and you DM. Like, I don't know, create the opportunities that you want, mm -hmm. right? And, and it's not always going to work out, but... In that instance, it was just kind of right time, right place. Um, the person that was over that department at the time, I had found their email, sent an email. Hey, Bristol's my home track. I always come back that weekend. I don't know if you're interested, if you need anybody. And they were short staffed that for that upcoming race. He went back and looked at my social media, saw some of the interviews I had done. And he's like, wait, I don't even need to see your reel. I found enough stuff online. Uh, yeah, what do you think about coming back and, and being one of our reporters awesome. or in-house reporters? And since then, I just tell Bristol they have to bring me back every year. I'm like, if there's one freelance <laughs> gig I'm doing, it's Bristol. You can't get oh, rid yeah. of me. I'm sorry. Uh, this is my home track. I get to come back and, and stay with my mom and eat some good home-cooked meals oh, and love it. see friends from high school and, and family. So I'm very grateful for that opportunity. I, I don't I don't take it for granted. But another it was just another one of those things where found an email, sent, sent, sent an email, and then got, you know, got lucky that they needed someone at that yeah. time. Well, I'm putting this out into the ether right now. If, if Stro, if you ever need somebody alongside you at Bristol, I know a guy who's available and I will okay. be asking you for some emails after this show, putting that out. All right. there. Noted. I'll be happy to share my contact list. <laughs> please, please do. All right. So we've talked about NFL network. We've talked about NBC and Charlotte. We've talked about Bristol. So how do you get to that point when, before this all comes together? Because you always clearly had a passion for reporting for television, and we're going to get into the teaching side of things, but a little birdie told me your website that when you were a kid, you know, you used to sit in front of the TV and report and announce into a little tape recorder. So it seems like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that for a long, long time, you always knew that going into television, whether it be reporting or anchoring or entertaining, this was going to be something that you were going to pursue from a very young age. Yeah, that is true. So it's so funny. I still have those cassette tapes. I I joke. Really? It was, yeah, <laughs> it was just me and mom growing up. When I was growing up, it was just you know raised a single mom, and I think I talked a lot as a kid. And there were days when she was just like, I don't have the mental capacity for this. So she bought me a tape recorder. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh oh, we might need to cut that out. I almost knocked something down over here. We're good. We're back. We're good. We're good. We're back. Um, We're no, but but mom bought the tape recorder. I, I think she just wanted a break from having to entertain me all day long. That's so and funny. But there's so many hilarious moments, like me singing my ABCs when I'm really little and getting stuck on a letter and being like, mom, mom. Hey. And she's like, oh my gosh, even with the tape recorder, you still needed me. Like her plan didn't work. But <laughs> thought I got rid of you. <laughs> right. But but when it comes to the, um, you know, to the, the sports reporting part, it's so funny because you can hear me doing play by play but you also hear me in some of those clips, like running through the house, acting out the plays that I'm telling you that are happening. So mm, you can do it all. 
Right. Not only am I telling you, I'm reenacting for you, but I I think it's so cool to have those tapes and to have like it documented, like at a really young age, this was what I think growing up in a small town, you don't understand sometimes what's out there if you've never been out there. And so it, sometimes I say like, I hate that it took me so long to figure it out, but also as much as I hate to say timing is everything, timing is everything. And so I think if my journey didn't unfold how it did, would I even be where I'm at today? So yeah, I, I always wanted to do it. I played sports growing up, love talking. So just kind of like a no brainer. And, and I love being a part of the community and, and being able to share stories, right? It's not just about the X's and O's or the highlights. It's also like, what are these people doing in our community? And, yeah. and I always say sports is the one thing that brings people together when you're at the game or you're at the track or whatever it is, it doesn't matter anything else about you, except who are you pulling for? Okay. I like you for pulling for the same person. If not, all right, I'm not talking to you, but you forget about everything else. And I think that's just the beauty in sports. And so I'm so happy to be a part of the sports world, but, but yeah, it's been a journey, but we'll take it all the way back to the cassette tapes and me doing play by play and and calling that out in the house and giving my sweet mother a break from entertaining me all day. (laughs) So you still have the tapes. Have you listened to them recently? Like, are you able to, do you have the right equipment to be able to listen to those things? (laughs) Yeah. A lot of times when I go back home, I'll, if I have the time and I'm there for a few days, I'll be like, let's go down memory lane. Like, let's just replay these tapes. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty comical. Um, American Gladiators was really big when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that show, Not really, but I, but... I, I loved some American Gladiators. We definitely okay. have tapes of me also doing play by play for American Gladiators. Of course, um, yeah. So, but yeah, we we have them, and we still have a cassette player, and and I'll be like, let's let's go get the tapes out. Like, let's go listen to them. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned you played sports in high school. Yep. You can correct me if I'm wrong on this too, but according to your Wikipedia page, which congratulations Who for having that, a Wikipedia the page. I, I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't have one. I was there and I was like, oh, okay. Who took the time to, thank yeah. you, but also who made that? So Yeah, right. Essentially, I, I wasn't even going to write down all the sports that you played and that you were named to all state in or, or whatever the honors were, but I mean, it seems like you played a every single sport that was offered in high school and every yeah. single sport that you played that was offered, you were the best in and you were all state. Like, I didn't know you were an athlete, too, on top of being able to be the best time manager, a great reporter, <laughs> all these different things. I mean, you could have yeah. gone pro. Yeah, well, I, well, I don't know about that, but, <laughs> but in my little small town, it worked out OK. Yeah, I just. I did play every sport that my school offered for a girl, except I didn't do cheerleading because it overlapped with one of the other three sports that I was playing at a time. So that was the only thing I didn't do. The other three. Um, I also did like debate team. Uh, I I did a lot, but when you're, when you're from a small town and you are decent at anything, sometimes just to have a team, you have to be on the team. So there would be times when, for example, like cross country, okay, we know you're playing volleyball. We know you're playing basketball. That's your priority. But can you show up at the cross country meet? Cause we need you to be a part of the team. We kind of need you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so part of my obligation as being a decent student athlete was showing up at meets and running or tennis comes with the territory. Yeah. Comes with the territory, but I, it's crazy. I, I don't know. I guess it worked out like in my small town. I don't know how I, ha- there was nothing to do anyway. So it's kind of like, at least I was busy. I was playing sports yeah. year round, but but I wouldn't change it. It was a great experience. And I, I do think, you know, being a part of a team of some sort, whatever it is, whether it's a, you know, a, a 
extracurricular where it's the art club or it's drama or it's the debate team or it's your basketball team. Like, mm -hmm. I just think that looking back, that gives you such crucial skills when you go out into the real world and you're in the job, you know, you're working and you're in your job and you're interacting with people, you kind of already know what it's like to be part of a team. So yeah, definitely. What was your favorite sport that you played? Cause the list is ridiculously long. <laughs> uh, it, would be, it would be basketball for me. Okay. <laughs> I feel like that was just inevitable. If you look at my baby photos before I could even walk, there's a regulation size <laughs> basketball laying next to me. And I'm like, mom, what were you guys doing? Ball is life. Ball is life, literally. So that was just the one I, I had the most experience with. I played, I coached. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it would be it would be basketball for me. I have to ask too because I went to Michigan State and you got my boy Miles Bridges down there on the Hornets. Yeah. So please treat treat my boy Miles with with some good love and respect because he needs some TLC now that he's not an EL anymore. He's killing it too, obviously. Love but Miles. you got Miles, which I love. Yeah, he's insanely athletic. I'm a huge Miles fan. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, you just, uh, the dunks are amazing. His highlight reel from last year is amazing. He's insane. I'm really excited to see what happens this year. I'm expecting big things from him, so no pressure. <laughs> no right, pressure. Miles, if you're listening, you know what to do. Just ball out. Yep. Do your thing. Yep. Um, okay, so besides in high school, you being insanely athletic, you also casually flexed and graduated top of your class. So, again, I, I don't know how you keep one-upping yourself, but yeah. congratulations. <laughs> well, they say you should, your biggest competition is yourself, right? So let's see if I, I can so. just help myself. That's my goal. Like I don't even pay attention to what other people are doing. Like, Okay, what did I accomplish last year? Let's see if I cannot do that this year. Yeah. But, but yeah, well, you did. I, yeah. So, I don't know. Yes, I don't want to. I, I hate to like be like, oh yeah, I accomplished this, or I did this, or I did that. But you're allowed to because I bring it up. This is all about I, you. Okay, I, we can talk about it. I'll tell yes. you the story. It was funny. Junior Please. year, class rankings come out, and you find out like where you are going into your senior year. I was number one by like. 0.1 something something and I was like oh, there goes my fun senior year I'm gonna have to sign up for all these AP classes now I can't like lose competitor strohs coming out year is number one. so I was like I guess it's all the AP classes let's see if I can get the GPA even higher so yep. yeah that was that and then it was just a competition from there on I was like I gotta win I gotta be valedictorian and it worked out so of course it was <laughs> it sure did so then you went on to Radford uh yep Another guy who also went to Radford, Marty Smith. Do, do you know yeah. him at all? Because he obviously is a huge deal, doing great things at ESPN. Like one of my people that I look up to, try to emulate. Do you ever do you ever interact with him or know him? Your love for Radford? Yeah, it's it's really funny to see how, like how our stories kind of like we're both from the same part of Virginia. Uh -huh. We both went to Radford, and I'm like I love seeing everything that he's accomplished, but. What I love about Marty is just how humble he is. Like you, it, it doesn't matter that he's on ESPN or he's accomplished all these things. The first time I met him, he came up to me and was like, hey, I've seen you on like the news because he lives around this area, right? Yeah. So he gets on local channels. He's like, I know you're from Radford or we went to college there. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. You are supposed to let me come up to you and yeah. say, hey, <laughs> I admire you. And not, like so you crazy. paved the way for someone from Virginia with a country accent because I refuse to give it up. And uh, so I'm like, I look up to you so much just for staying true to who you are. Right. But the fact that he saw me realize, oh, that's the girl that went to Radford that's on the local news here doing sports. Let me go say hi to her. We were at Cam Newton's kickball tournament, his charity, one of his charity events. Yep. And Marty was playing. And I was just like. I don't know. That was just so cool to me to have that moment. And it also yeah. showed his character. Like he didn't, it wasn't like, oh, I'm not going to go talk to her, even though I know her. It's like, oh my gosh, there's the girl from Radford. Let me go say hi. And, and since then 
anytime I see him, it's just been a great conversation. And um, yeah, so I, I love Marty. I love everything that he's done. And I so appreciate him for not changing himself to be on TV. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So you get to Radford, right? The home of Marty Smith, obviously, yeah. we know that. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we mentioned how you graduated top of your class in high school. So sorry for making you brag about yourself even more, but you go there on an academic scholarship and I'm sure you did great there. You majored in math, which blows yeah. my mind because I just assumed all people in journalism or communications had to hate math because I do and a lot of my friends do. So clearly you're just double dipping here. You're getting one side of the pool with the math you get the other side with the talking aspect of things you got the cassette tapes and the calculator in the other hand. I guess that's kind of what your childhood was. Basically, I have a visual right now. Here's a little stro with the calculator and with the cassette tape <laughs> yeah. under my over here. You're calculating how much more time you can speak into the cassette tape. That's how it works. Right. Let's do the statistics. Let's let's you know calculate it out here. Yeah. I I just really feel like being from such a small town, I just like I said earlier, like I didn't know what was out there. Like we had taken vacations and trips, but mostly just, you know. We would go to Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge and Dollywood every year. We would go to Myrtle Beach. Uh, we did a school trip. We did a senior trip to Florida. We did an eighth grade trip. We did to like Virginia Beach and the DMV and, and all that. But like mm -hmm. really being exposed and knowing what was out in the crazy world, I had no idea. And I wouldn't yeah. change anything about my upbringing. It was a very like beautiful, sheltered, small town upbringing. And that's very much like the root of who I am. But then I left and I went to college and I was like, wait, y'all were doing what when you were 15? <laughs> whoa, whoa, you went where? Like, you, I'm like, whoa, I don't even, I never even heard of that place. Like, tell me yeah. more. <laughs> so, you didn't know what you didn't know. Exactly. And so for me, one, it was just like a big deal to, to get to university. And then I didn't know what I wanted to do or how to even make the dream of, of talking sports for a living happen. And I was really good at math. And I said, well, I guess I'll major in math. I could do something cool with that. I can teach. I could work for NASA. I can do somebody's taxes. I don't know, <laughs> whatever. Right. And so I'm glad that I had that in my back pocket. It's always going to be there. If something goes wrong in this field or I yeah. want to get out, it's great to Good. have a math degree. Um, I'm glad that I do. Again, another one of those things where I wish I would have just been brave enough to chase this dream, but I did. I just didn't know. I had no idea. There was no one to talk to that had done it yeah. before me in my area. I just, again, had to get out into the real world. And then when I moved to Charlotte with my math degree as a high school math teacher and basketball and track coach, I'll never forget the first time I drove downtown. And at the time, it felt like a huge city to me. And I was like, Whoa, oh my God, all these buildings. Now it feels really small. But at that moment, yeah. I was like, Whoa, I've Where made it. I? I made it to the city. Yeah. And then I realized all the sports teams, all the radio stations, all the TV stations. And again, Googled and found every email that I could find and just started like reaching out to people and how could I, I be in the field and what did you do? And and so it is funny. I don't meet very many people that have the same story as me <laughs> or a math degree that wanted oh, to yeah. go into journalism. But That's unique. It worked out. <laughs> yes, it did. Well, yeah. let's let's move on to what you kind of teased there. You're a teacher, you coach basketball, you coach track. So you were a math teacher, right? We know that. And you were a coach because you clearly are excelling at every single athletic competition possible. Um, <laughs> but during that time, did you still have your eye on getting into the industry? And, and I know you kind of did, but the steps that you took to make that a reality, I know you interned at some radio stations, you were sending emails every single waking moment of the day that you could. 
So what are some other of the, the concrete steps that you took when you were in this role as a profession, but also saying, okay, this is fine, but I want to get over here. Like, how did that process work? Yeah, well, I'm one of these people that I'm a big believer in signs and take it for what it's worth. And really, I, I don't think the idea ever left my brain. It was like a constant thing that would pop up, right? Like, I just I want to do this, but I don't know how. I don't know, you know, all those thoughts, right? Like just trying to figure out how to take yeah. one step in the right direction. My mom is driving down from Virginia to visit me. She pulls into the parking lot at my old complex and all of a sudden, this crazy rainstorm comes down. She can't get out of the car because it's just one of those summer storms, right? <laughs> and she comes inside and she's like, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but I just think this is a sign. The minute I park, the rain comes. And the next thing that comes on the radio is an advertisement Connecticut School of Broadcasting in Charlotte. And she's like, I just think it was a sign. I think you should go take a tour of the facility and just, just see. Like, I don't know. She's like, maybe it wasn't anything, but odd timing. <laughs> so... Mm -hmm. Signed up, went, and I felt an immediate connection with the place and the people there. And I said, okay, you know what? I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna chase the dream. I'm gonna teach high school and I'm gonna go back to broadcasting school. And then I chickened out because I was like, I don't know, it's my life savings. I don't, I just, I don't really wanna, I don't know if it doesn't work out. This is crazy. Talked myself out of it. Literally the day before classes, I chickened out. They're like, okay, whatever, we'll give you your money back. It's fine. Okay. Like a week later, I'm talking to my mom. You know, I think I should have done that. I think I should have went to broadcasting school. And she's like, listen, child, you've been talking about this child, for a long please. time. <laughs> Either do it and shut up or just shut up about it. Like, like figure it out. Cause I'm tired of having the same conversation about it. She knows, she knows. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, next time classes open up, I'm going to do it. And I did. And so I was teaching high school, albeit the high school at 645 in the morning, roll out at 2.15, come down for night classes three nights a week. Then I got um, an internship over the summer at WBT Radio on their morning programming. Mm -hmm. Down the hall from that was WBTV, the CBS affiliate in Charlotte. So they put in a good word for me. I, I said, I'll intern in any department. I don't care. I'll clean the floors. I just want to be in the building. I want to be yeah. learning from people. That's and what you like, do. you know what? We, we can put you in sports. And I said, how did he know? I didn't say it. As I, everybody wants to do sports. I wasn't going to say that. So, yeah. so, and then it just worked out. I interned in the sports department. I was teaching high school Monday through Friday, interning on the weekends, not really sleeping a whole lot. Yep. And then I did that that fall. And then January, February, the station was launching a new newscast, an eight o'clock, 8 p.m. show. And I applied to be the part-time editor, got hired. So I would teach high school drive to the city, run teleprompter for the four o'clock, edit the eight o'clock. And then I wanted to learn sports. So then I would hang out with the sports director and did that from February till May. And then CBS radio, it was CBS radio at the time, uh, their top 40 station needed a morning show producer. And they said, Hey, we thought of you. Are you interested? They had no idea the person was quitting, need someone now. And I said, well, wait, I can work the morning shift at the radio station. I can do my editing shift at the TV station at night and I'll just sleep in between all of that. And that's what I did. And eventually like I did that shift pretty much for a year working two part-time jobs. I left a job. I was, I mean, I made a jump. I left a job a salary job with benefits to chase a dream and work two part-time jobs with no benefits and um, did that schedule for a year. But within that year, I got to move from part-time editor to part-time sports, eventually got to be on air once a week to then 
the following year I got on full time. So that's the kind of long, kind of short version, but it was, I don't know. I just rolled the dice. I was, I was scared. Yeah. Obviously I chickened out, but again, I think about timing. If I would have went the first time around, mm-hmm. would I even still be in Charlotte? Would this be how it worked out for me? I don't yeah. know. It is kind of crazy how all that stuff works out. Okay. So we talked about balance before, right? Yeah. So, I mean, now you're managing a lot of stuff, right. but back then I, I feel like it was probably tenfold. Cause, cause like you said, you're managing like the psychoanalysis of leaving a full-time job with benefits which is the goal for a lot of people that just to get that you leave that to chase a dream. Uh, after you finally don't chicken out and go to school and you took mama's advice <laughs> and you're balancing these two things and, and you have your eye set on getting to a certain place. You understand that it's not going to happen overnight because you've already been doing the roles that you're in for a good amount of time and you see the progression and you're being logical about it. So what is your mindset at this time in saying like, okay, did I make a mistake? Can I actually do this? What does the timing look like? Should I go back to being a teacher? I'm sure that there had to be a lot of different thoughts going on in that mind, both positive because yes, I'm chasing the dream, but also probably a bit scared saying, what if it doesn't work out? What if I'm not good enough? No, for sure. And again, like those are the moments that people don't see. They don't see you crying in the sports office because they brought someone in to audition for the full-time job that you want. Cause that literally happened to me when, when I was filling in for the, on the weekends for the full-time weekend anchor position, mm-hmm. they're like, Oh, we didn't know that the person that was here was going to leave. We don't have anyone. So you fill in while we bring people in to audition for that role. And I was like, no, 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 this is my chance. It's, yeah. You gotta hire me, but they were still bringing people into audition and it would, like it's a roller coaster because you yeah. want that to be you and, it. and like, yeah. it worked out for me. But managing all of that up until that that point and finally getting hired full time, in the beginning it's fun because it's exciting. It's new. You're like, yes, I'm here, I'm in the building, I'm doing this on the radio show, I'm doing this segment, like right? Shiny new, fun. You're not really it wears worried off about quick. Else. Yeah. And then when that wears off, you're like, Okay, well, it's been six months now and nothing's really changing. And do I need to go to market 170 to get on air? Like, do I need to apply for this job? Should I keep hustling here? I don't know. My foot's in the door here. It can happen. And so (laughs) there's so many emotions. And, and finally, after, you know, almost a year of doing the two part-time jobs, you, you hit like a, for me, I hit like a breaking point and it was like, all right, I can't like, this is not sustainable. It's just, it's not. Um, and I don't know what's going to happen. Do I need to leave? Like you have those moments. There's, it's impossible. I think not to, but I think you, for me, it was just the love and the excitement of what I was getting to do and the opportunities that I had outweighed those moments of doubt and the moments of doubt. It was never, I shouldn't be doing this. It's just like, what the heck is my next step? I have no idea. Because there is no true, here's step one, here's step two. It's like people in broadcasting, you like, it's There's crazy. no textbook. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, exactly. There's no set thing to do. At all. And and so I think it was just, what is my journey? What's my path look like? And what is the next step for me? And I'm so grateful that up until this point right now, every next step has been something in Charlotte. So I'm really grateful that I've gotten to build my foundation and my base here and and develop relationships with all the teams and, and athletes and PR folks and, and yep. viewers that are in Charlotte over the last, you know, not quite a decade, but it's been, it's getting there. So it's, it's been a journey, but a roller coaster, 
but I've appreciated the ride. <laughs> yeah. A couple loops in there, a couple uh, G forces yeah. <laughs> swinging it back to back. It's crazy though. Cause I feel like part of your story is very similar to mine, albeit, you know, different years and, and age gap and stuff. But it's, I mean, I've had like a plenty of thoughts, like graduating college, you know, doing this PA thing for a while. I'm like, well, should I go to like middle of nowhere, Nebraska? Am I going to move to like Montana, Wyoming? Do I really want to do this or do I want to try to stick with what I'm doing here and, and keep developing these relationships and stuff. So I guess how close were you to actually kind of like going that route and saying, maybe I'm going to try to do it this way. Maybe, maybe I should just try to get on air right now because I can, albeit not somewhere that's here, not nowhere near Charlotte. You know, I'm going to have to go somewhere else, but I could do it. So how close were you to that point? I mean, I think the, the deciding factor for me in that if, Obviously, if they would have hired someone else they were bringing into audition for that weekend anchor position, that would have been like the nail in the coffin for me. Yeah. Like, I got to pack my bags and I got to go. <laughs> See but I just, it's crazy looking back how everything just unfolded. Got, went back to school, got the internship in sports when I didn't even specify sports is what I wanted to do. Got the part-time editing position, got the part-time sports position, shot a lot of stuff, finally got to come on air and call some high school football highlights. Weekend anchor leaves. They thought she was going to resign. They have no one. Throw like when they threw me in the fire for my first show anchoring. I had to produce it myself. I had no idea how to like time out a show. I was like, "What do you what, wait? What? What do you? What, what's this countdown mean to my?" <laughs> I had no clue. It was it wasn't a complete disaster, but I had no real training. I was just like, "Okay, let's yeah. talk about sports. Like whatever." Yeah. So well, you learn by like doing things on the fly, 100%. right? Like that made you better. Yeah, and I'm a I'm a learn by do type person. Like same. let show me one time, let me try it the next time. Third time I'm feeling pretty 100%, good about it. Same. Uh that's just how my brain is designed. So I'm a very hands-on person. But um but yeah, if in that moment when I got thrown into the fire, every Monday I would go to my news director's office and be like, watch the tape, what can I do differently this weekend? But if that wouldn't have worked out and they hadn't have seen enough growth and they would have been like, Well, sorry, kid, like you'll figure it out one day, you'll be back in Charlotte that would have been it for me. Like I, who knows where I would be right now, but thank goodness he saw enough in me to give me a, a three-year deal. I'll never forget getting the contract, running down the hallway, calling my mom and being like, Oh my God, this is amazing. I got this deal. Oh my God. I'm also making way more than I was as a teacher. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> I was educating the youth, but talking sports makes Society's more money. Messed I don't up. understand it. <laughs> Those were like my initial reactions yeah. to getting the contract. But, but I, I mean, there's definitely moments in anything right like you could be on top of the world and there's going to be a day where you question like is this satisfying to me is this what yeah. i'm doing I, it's just part of, of human nature yeah all right so those are kind of the immediate thoughts you call your mom you're like wow making a lot more money now that's fun but on a serious note i mean when you actually got a full-time job offer in this industry you've quote unquote made it you know what i mean i mean right. what are the emotions at that point because for lack of a better term, that that's the moment where you have made it. Like the dream is now a reality. You all these different signs that came up, all these different time commitments and internships and emails and all these different things that you had put in the work for for years. The cassette tapes. It's all paid <laughs> off now. So what are the emotions at that point? I'm sure there were some tears, very happy tears, and some more calls to some friends and family. But to know yeah. that you had made it at that point had to be so, so gratifying. I mean, for sure, right? Because I mean, literally going back to me talking about, well, I spent my life savings to go back to school. Like I yeah. I really rolled the dice. Like I, I put a lot of money into the program. 
put a lot of time into interning, uh, didn't sleep very much because I wanted to be present in everything that I could possibly be and said yes to every opportunity. And that's a big piece of advice to say yes. Like, even if it's something you don't think that's beneficial when you're starting out, you can learn from everybody. And I'm everything. a yes man too. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just think you just had this moment and you're in the office and you get the offer and you get the contract. I literally was like, okay, I'll sign it. And he's like, okay, that's fine, but you probably want to take it home and read it first. <laughs> but I was just so excited. I would have said I like, thing. Let's do it. Let's go. And he's like, yeah. Like, re- I mean, I'm probably not changing anything in the contract, but could you at least like read it yeah. first? But I was just so happy because I mean, it was a it was a journey. It was hell yeah a lot. You know, I mean, I was teaching high school and trying to find time to go to class and the energy to intern on the weekends. And so you just had this moment where, like you said, it's it's gratifying because all of that hard work. The little voice inside you that kept saying, chase your dream, chase your dream. Well, you did it. Like you, you got there. Like it, it's the first big step of you getting to where you want to be. And so it was, it was such a cool moment. And to get to share that with my mom, right. Who has been with me through everything. And, and to her credit, she did tell me to major in this in college. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to do math. I'm good at math. So she's like, mama knows. You could have listened to me. So now mama when knows. I call her, I'm like, I need the honest answer. Don't tell me what you think I want to hear. Like, yeah. what should I do? Because <laughs> she's never been wrong. Um, but yeah, it was it was great. It was it was a really special moment. So yeah, that's awesome. Well, you've done great to this point, and uh, you continue to do great in, in everything you do. And what's something that I find interesting is kind of the the different roles that you have held and continue to hold in all these different things, right? So you know, general reporter, sports reporter in Charlotte, right? You do sports primarily, but you also like sports. And I was told this in college too, and you have experience doing it too. You need to know a lot about just general reporting and journalism to be a sports reporter because it's not just covering a game. There are things that happen in the legal system that you need to be able to talk about. There are things that happen um, off the field or off the track that you need to be able to talk about. And you need to understand the ramifications of certain things. So you have a reporter aspect, you have an anchoring aspect, and then what you did with the Charlotte Knights, that's kind of like an in-game host, similar mm-hmm. stuff you do with Bristol Motor Speedway. I know you do some stuff on Instagram live with them too. So you're able to be reporter, anchor, entertainer. And I'm curious how your preparation differs for each specific role and how the actual acts of doing those different things differs. Like, do you have to put yourself in a different mindset when you go on Colossus compared to when the red light comes on in studio? Like, how does that work for you? Yeah, well, I think in one of the reasons I like to do so many different things is I feel like in 2021 and beyond, you can't just be one dimensional if you wanna be successful. Like you have to find ways to I mean, it's okay if there's just one thing that you really want to do and that's it, like by all means, like go knock that out of the ballpark for the next 30 years. But the way I feel like our industry is set up, you need to be doing a lot of different things. And the way I'm set up as a human, I lo- like, that's just how my creativity works. Like I love being able to do this role and that yeah. role and try this and that. It just, that's why this whole no day being the same thing really works for me. I don't like, yeah. you know, the same monotonous thing over and over and over. Like let's change it up today. Let's do something crazy. So all of the different roles that I've been able to hold throughout my career so far. um, Yeah. There's definitely different preparation that goes into it when it's something in studio. It's almost 
a little more serious for me just because I, I have such limited time. So it's like, boom, 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 boom. The preparation's a little more serious. Yeah, it's structured. It's way more structured for sure. Versus if I'm, and the biggest thing for me that I dislike about the on TV stuff is just the time constraints because I hate feeling like I have to speed through something or rap when I still have 30 seconds more of information yep. to give. And that's just the nature of, of the business. That commercial's coming like, whether you like it or not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> When it's something like the the Bristol Instagram Lives or the Q and A's that we host using Restream that goes out on all of our social platforms, there's no time limit. It's a conversation just like you and I are having today. And I love being able to, oh, I didn't have that question, but he just like threw me an alley oop, and I have the time to ask exactly. that question or dive into that part of the conversation. So to me, that's just a little bit more fun, a little more free flowing. You obviously prepare and you have your questions and you 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 know do all of your research, but there's just more opportunity to have more yeah. real genuine moments. Um, and then as far as like the stuff that I used to do for the Charlotte Knights, that's just fun. You're just hanging out with fans, you're playing games, you're run, you know, running through the field with Get paid them. to watch some baseball. And getting paid to watch baseball. I mean, does it get any better? So yeah. um, th those jobs are more so, let me make sure I get the sponsor name right. Let me make sure I don't upset yeah. anybody there. Did I get the sponsor name right? All right, let's have some fun today. Right. So different ways to prepare yeah but but they're all good in their own way i prefer the ones where i feel like i can be a little bit more myself i have a little bit more time to play and um luckily i'm i'm pretty fortunate with the producers at cn at nbc charlotte wcnc they know if i'm doing a sit down stro's going to ask for extra time just let's be nice like give her three yeah. minutes instead of 130. <laughs> so and the good thing we have digital so things can live exactly. on our website Right. And they can be as long as you want them to be. So that's the beauty yeah. in, in digital. But I do think the more you can do, the more roles you can have. One lets you know what you really want to focus on. And two, it just helps your your brand. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because I asked that question because I, I, I wanted to know because I prepare for this podcast differently than I do for the Front Stretch podcast that I host because that's more like current events current NASCAR news going on and I prepare for that stuff differently than how I prepare for my TikToks when I'm crashing right. into the wall uh, <laughs> and I prepare for that differently than when I'm doing off the record with you and Mamba right and that's kind of like a fun casual conversation but I'm not holding this microphone I'm not looking at the time I'm not monitoring all these different th you know what I mean so there's but there's a bunch of different things to do with preparation but what I've found and you can probably attest to this as well is that you know you need to be lucky and you need to be good to succeed in any industry but a lot of the opportunities that you've gotten, yes, you know, science have pointed you to certain places, your skill sets, your relationships, all that type of stuff. But I think Richard Childress said it. He's probably not the first one, but he's the first one that I heard say it. Uh, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And yeah. it seems like, you know, you being at the right place at the right time, but also having the skill set to be able to capitalize on that opportunity and being prepared, you know, having your reel ready. Uh, being able to fill in at a moment's notice and not knowing when you need to hit breaks, but you learn and you figure it out. That's <laughs> right. a big thing as well. And, you know, even with the Charlotte Knights, you know, like there could be something serious that happens during a baseball game. Like there could be a serious injury. There could be, I mean, here at Nats Park, like, you know, a couple miles away from here, I mean, there was a shooting like a couple months right. ago. You you don't know what's going to happen. And that goes back to the everyday is different type of thing. So yeah, it's interesting to hear your perspective on how different preparations, you know, happen yeah. for different roles. And, and I think like everything you just said, like you learn what works for you, like what, yeah. how I prepare for something might not be how you prepare, but you learn what's going to get you in the zone and give your best performance or your best yeah. delivery it's different or whatever. For everyone. 
Yeah. And like your TikToks are amazing. I, I love like how they've taken off and I watch them every week and I'm laughing. And so I think it's really great that not only can you like host a podcast like this, or you can do the, you know, the one we did with Mamba, but also like you can find a way to be creative, but also be funny. And honestly, like make a little bit of fun of yourself, but more importantly, the people that you cover. So 100%, I think yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got to be able to do it all though. I mean, that's kind of how I brand myself like multimedia reporter slash journalist like I can write I can edit I can talk I can clip like I can do all these different things and that's kind of how you have to brand yourself okay I've taken a lot of your time a couple more things and I'll let you run out of here I saw on your LinkedIn I did a lot of good stalking on you on all the different (laughs) social media platforms I do with all my guests uh you have volunteered at various different places throughout your life throughout your career in the industry and stuff like that I'm not sure if uh, the big sister stuff is the same thing as the big brother program that I've had some friends do, but that clearly has been very important to you and not just like paying it forward in the industry, but also just being a genuine good person. And, you know, that program, it seems like the volunteering aspect, that's been kind of a, a core component of your being for a while. Yeah, I wish truthfully, that's the one thing that pains me about my schedule is that I can't be in the community as much as I want to. You're busy Um, enough. And and my schedule, like I can't be a a big sister and be like, hey, I got off work at 1130 tonight, like uh, popcorn, (laughs) you know what I mean? So relatable. It's it's (laughs) so hard, Yeah. but I am such a big believer in, in giving back, whether it's okay, there's someone who's calling that wants to shadow me. Well, let me, let's find a day and come in because if people wouldn't have done that for me, I wouldn't have learned. I wouldn't know. But also your community, right? Like essentially my job is serving my community because I'm trying to tell stories. I'm trying to keep people informed. Uh, So many athletes are doing so many good things and giving back and they have all these programs. And I think sometimes people don't even realize what exists in their community. So if there's a way for me to, to show whatever someone's doing or make someone aware that a program exists to help people, I definitely want to use my platform to do that. And that's kind of what I've had to shift a little bit more to just with my schedule being so crazy. Another Mm -hmm. thing that's like super important to me, special Olympics. My mom uh, has taught special education for the last 40 years. So as a kid growing up, I would go with her to the special Olympics. So at one point we were, we were trying to do a segment and highlight different special Olympics athletes in our community and and shine some light on what they're doing because they're so awesome. And, um, and I don't feel like they always get the credit that they deserve or the publicity that they deserve with everything else that's going on. But I do wish I could be out there as much as I used to be, but, but giving back is really important. And, and again, if I can cover it on the air, if I can be there in person, if I can donate something, I'm yeah. all for it. When I did the big sister program, it was before I, I was as crazy as my schedule is as crazy as what it is right now. And it was so much fun though, because I had access to with what I do, I could take her to a Hornets game and players could come meet her afterwards, right. Or sign a poster for her, just little moments like that, that, yeah. Not that it's about that, but it was just something I felt like I had access to Definitely. that I could take them to. When I was teaching high school, uh, my, my girls' basketball team, the Hornets were the Bobcats at the time, and I actually wrote them uh, an email, and I said, hey, I have a great group of girls. None of them have ever been to an NBA game before. We're right down the road. Any chance they could come to a practice? I didn't even ask for tickets. I just said, can we come watch a practice one day? Like Maybe it would inspire them. They'd see what else is out there. And they actually gave me tickets and food vouchers for all my uh, players and all the kids that helped out on the team. And so we loaded up the school bus, we came down, we had a night at the game. And, and so just, I don't know, any little way I can connect and find, I don't know, just like, again, like exposure, right? Like I had no idea what was out there. So how can I help these kids when I was a teacher? 
I had a couple kids that were big in playing soccer. I took them back to Radford. My friends on the soccer team, like hosted them for a day. The thing is, if I know you and I think you can help somebody, you're probably going to hear from me. <laughs> Just know that it's coming from a good place. But if yeah. you have the resources, five minutes can truly change someone's life, especially when they're a Absolutely. kid. You're so impressionable. You're looking for people to look up to and inspire you. So I'll go on and on. So I'm just going to stop. But yes, help out no. your community if you can, whatever it may be. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is so true. The five minutes can change somebody's life. I mean, for real. I mean, we talk about Marty and I'll, I'll get off of this after this too, but like he's somebody I really try to emulate in, in my work and somebody I look up to. I've talked to him in my life for probably a total of 10 minutes. I did it for five minutes at Martinsville last year while he was sitting in his truck outside the credential hauler. I did mm -hmm. it at Daytona last year or this year when he was sitting in the media center being bombarded by all these people. But like those 10 minutes that I got, I remember forever and like great advice. And he may not know who I am. I don't know. But like those five or 10 minutes will, you know, stick with me for, for a really long time. Okay. A uh, couple yeah. more things and I'll let you go. I appreciate your time so much. <laughs> You've gotten to know so many people over the years, right? Especially being in the heart of NASCAR country, right in there in Charlotte. Um, mm -hmm. You developed a really close friendship with Amy Earnhardt, who's obviously Dale Jr.'s yeah. wife. Um, and we were talking earlier because it was funny. On Off the Record, you know, we were debating, well, is this going to be Dale Jr.'s last race in Xfinity at Richmond? And you were like, you guys are crazy. This ain't going to be it. <laughs> Don't worry. And I was like, what, what, what about Amy? Like, Amy might not let him. And you were like, she will let him. It's okay. Because you know. And I was like, all right, you're friends with her. So if you say yes, you know. So how did your friendship and your relationship with her kind of progress because I'm sure that you know when she started dating Dale there was a whole different world that she didn't really know about similar to when you kind of saw these different things when you went to college and when he got into NASCAR seems like there's a lot of uh, parallels there with you and Amy yeah I love Amy I, I she's such a sweetheart I so appreciate once a year we sit down and we do an interview and we talk about the foundation and, and that's another way right like using the platform yep. to encourage people to give back and you and did that recently so go check it out yeah, exactly. And and like what the Dell Jr. Foundation does, like they just give back to so many different people and different charities and they've raised millions of dollars since its inception. So, and they've yeah. had really creative ways to do it. So initially the way Amy and I met, uh, I had put in a request to do an interview for Wendell Jr.'s ride. And back then it was a Corvette. You could buy a ticket, it's a raffle, whatever. The proceeds go to a good cause. You might win a Corvette, like how cool, why not? Right. Now they do a couple now it's a truck and it can't an rv and just they've changed it up but yeah. initially our first meeting was for that interview she drove me around the corvette for like a good 30 minutes to probably an hour we talked forever <laughs> that day and from there every year it's just like we just let's do it again let's do it again let's do it again now since that's the only time we've driven the vehicle because uh, it changed to a stick shift the next year and neither of us can drive sticks we were like let's just go walk around the car we can get yeah, some why not? take some pictures of it it's fine <laughs> yeah but i i just think that's that's a, a relationship that i really value and over the years we've obviously gotten to know each other better every we joke like every year we sit down some big life changes happen for her like one year it's like oh me and dale we want to have a second kid Next year, she's pregnant with Nicole. This year, you know, now they have their their two daughters running around and, and all of that. So it's just been really fun to to do that every year for the last five years and, and yeah. just talk about life and changes and the foundation and and just everything that's going on. So I, I certainly value it. I appreciate her time and, and also her just kind of giving me some insight in, into what they have going on. So we got Ashley, we got Amy, and of course we have Amanda, right? Bubba's girlfriend, yeah. fiance, yeah. excuse me. 
Uh, you're good friends with Amanda Carter, soon to be Amanda Wallace, right? Uh, that's pretty sweet too. Did you know about the proposal, like when it was going to happen in the lead up to it, or were you as surprised as she was? So I felt like it was going to happen this year. I had no true insight that it was going to happen on that trip. Right. Um, but we had had a couple conversations and I just felt like, I don't know when, but at some point I think it's coming. And, um, I was actually at Panthers training camp and I get a text from Amanda and I'm just like, okay, what's this? And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I zoom in on the photo and I was like, oh my God, it happened, it happened, it happened. (laughs) So I'm I'm so happy for them. I adore both of them and and the friendships that I have with both her and Daryl. And I just, you know, I get to be around them at a lot of different moments, whether it's at the track or we're all hanging out or or whatever. And I just, uh, they're such a great couple and they're even better people, right? And so the two mm-hmm. of them together, it just makes me so happy. And you have to mention Asher because he's kind of the star of the family. Oh, now, right? 100%. <laughs> I buried the lead. Yeah. yeah right? <laughs> he's so yeah. cute. He is. Yeah. So I'm, I'm super pumped for them. But I had no, I didn't know. I had no real insight until I got the photo before they shared it with the world. And so I was like, I'm so happy. And he did yeah. a good job with the ring. Most importantly, I said, Daryl, did you pick this ring out? And he said, did and i said i'm impressed nice job (laughs) (laughs) last thing a woman wants is to finally get the ring and then it not be anything you ever want to wear so yeah no he he did his research so good on him for that let's talk (laughs) about asher because i did bury the lead who cares about bubba who cares about him i mean have you dogs have you dogs at him before because he is so adorable like one of the most adorable dogs in the nascar garage he might be he might be up there number one up there and I mean, he's he's on the, the paint scheme. He's in commercials now. He's famous. I mean, he's famous. Hope it doesn't go to his head. <laughs> I have not had the chance to dog sit because I feel like Asher goes everywhere with them, right? So true, true. He's, you know, he might not be on pit road before the race, but he's probably hanging out in the bus or, or yeah. something like that. But we've we've spent some time together, and I think he's great. I don't have a dog because of my schedule, but mm-hmm. I would not be opposed to having a little Asher. He's a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Last thing, speaking of burying the lead, I feel like this is the question everybody wants to know when I'm talking to Stro. Uh-oh. Who is your photographer? Because every single picture that you post on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, it is so perfectly lit. It is perfectly framed. It looks so professional. The like it's unbelievable. I, I'm just trying to like get somebody that can do half the job that whoever takes all of your photos at the track, on the field. If they can do half as good as whatever your photographer's doing, I'll be happy. So who do you who do you have? How much are you paying this person? Oh it's, my god, it's you're, unbelievable. You're gonna, you know, I'm gonna get invoices after people hear this, be like, she doesn't pay me anything. Well, they said that <laughs> she's paying me, so you should, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just really lucky that I have some good friends that I can bug, whether it's at the track or a game or whatever. That will. Do you bug them though? Because I feel like now they know. They're like, all right, we're done with our shot. Stro, give me your phone. Here I mean, go. that's part of the game. I'm required to do X amount of social media posts today with my job. So I'm just trying to meet my quota. Okay? I believe it. Yeah. For real. <laughs> but, it's uh, a big part yeah, of it. I, I do have to shout out Jay Pennell. You might know him. He's at the track a lot. I know of uh, him. Yeah. Yeah. Does a lot of stuff. Uh, now, I'm not going to get it right, but with the video gaming aspect that NASCAR just released yes. and all that, I'm not going to talk too. about that. But, but that's kind of what, what his focus is and what he handles. So the Darlington photos were thanks to him. Um, okay. He did a great job with those. But anything else, I'm usually distilling the lighting from the live shot that I've done. Yeah, I'm, that'll you know, do well. Leave the light on for one second. And honestly, these iPhones, I tell you, portrait mode, it's 
It's amazing. Works wonders. That's it. So I, yeah. I wish I could give the credit to just one person, but I also have gotten really fortunate that some of the professional photographers, whether it's at a game or camp or at the, at the track, yeah. if they see me taking a picture, they'll snap one and send it to me. So I, I'm very grateful for those relationships yeah. and the people yeah. will actually share real HD photos with me. <laughs> yes. I love that yeah. too. Cause like you need, you need new profile pictures. You need pictures yeah. to put on your website. So anybody listening that has taken pictures of me at like Arca or K&N races back in the day, you are appreciated. So thank yeah. you for that. Um, honestly, it's crazy. Cause it's so, sometimes you're so busy. You don't, you're not able to get the picture and you're like, yeah. that was a really good moment. Or you're, you're interviewing the winner. Right. And you're like, I wish I had a picture of that. Yeah, like, like that's a great moment for, myself for the memory, but two to also share. Yeah. And then somebody will be like, Hey, I, I got this for you. Or, and I'm like, you have no idea how much that meant to me. It might sound it does, silly yeah. or shallow, but you want to remember these moments and you only get so many of them. 100%. So yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Well, Stro, Stro, this has been unreal. I so appreciate your time. It's been great getting to know you a little bit better. Your story, yeah. a lot of parallels kind of with my hopefully budding career, I guess you can say, in terms of the, the grind and the trajectory type of thing. So you are living proof. It can happen. The grind is worth it. So I appreciate you for that, for your friendship, all of the other different things that come along with knowing you. So thank you for your time. We will be watching you throughout the rest of the NASCAR season. And football season's just starting up. So everybody down there in Charlotte, you better tune in. WCNC every week. You'll be you'll be seeing Stro at Bank of America Stadium. Don't get don't get like mauled by that weird CGI Panther that they debuted. That thing was weird. Literally left feeling like Somewhere in Charlotte, a, that ginormous panther was just was running weird. through the city. I give them props. That was trending everywhere. It was yeah. It was really cool. Yeah, it was weird. It was yeah. scary to me. Um, <laughs> but anyways, yeah. Be careful yeah. with that and keep killing it. We appreciate you, and I appreciate you. So thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. This made my day. I, I, I hope that my conversation was insightful, and I uh, I'm all about the grind it will pay off. And that's how, you know, if you're, you know, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing when the love for it outweighs how tired you are, oh, yeah. or the, you know, again, I keep using roller coaster cause that's really what it is. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, and I love watching what you're doing. I feel like you're everywhere. Every time I log on, you're tweeting <laughs> this, you've got this person on your podcast, you're doing yeah. this TikTok. So I look forward to seeing where your journey takes you as well. Well, thank you. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, wow, I'm so busy. There's nobody as busy as me. And then I see you and I'm like, yeah, she's got me covered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's do a log. We can like log our week and see like who did what, you know? Yeah. It's a little friendly competition. Yeah. Never heard of anybody. Everything's yeah. competition. And you'll be at Bristol this weekend. So if you're going to the track, you'll see Stroud. Yeah. I can't wait to be there. And we're back. Didn't you like that one? I did too. I think Ashley's great. She's great at what she does, and she's a great person. So, again, Stro, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for hopping on with me. And I wish I was going to Bristol this weekend, but for all you guys that are listening to this en route to BMS, be sure to check out Ashley on the big screen. You're going to see her all weekend long. Keep killing it, Stro. We appreciate you. Let's talk about her home track and where she's going to be working this weekend, Bristol Motor Speedway, or as I like to call it, Bristol, baby! I can tell Robin is probably giving me death glares through the walls here in our apartment. Uh, again, we talked about it a bit with Ashley, but this is a playoff cutoff race, and it's finna be lit. I'm so excited for it. How will the power-washed dirt coming off of the surface impact how it races? Are there going to be any ruts? Are there going to be any bumps? Are there going to be any residual dirt patches? Uh, what about the resin? Apparently, they're applying some resin and not PJ1. 
but we know SMI's history of applying traction compound. Is that going to work out well? Where are they going to apply it? Is it going to be bottom dominant? Is it going to be top dominant? Are they going to apply it in the middle? I don't know what is going to happen, but I do know one thing. There is going to be an increased sense of aggressiveness, but there's also going to be some calmness depending on who you are. If you're Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin, or Martin Truex Jr., you should be aggressive because you got literally nothing to lose. You are locked into the round of 12. All you can do is go win races, rack up more playoff points, do your thing. If you are Alex Bowman, if you are William Byron, Michael McDowell, maybe even Kurt Busch, Kyle Busch, guys that are hovering around or below the cut line, are you calm at the start? Are you aggressive at the start? And then you kind of mellow out when you have a, bur a firm stranglehold on what the point situation looks like if there are some crashes that you're able to avoid or maybe you're in a crash and then, you know, your fate is sealed for you. I, I don't know. So I think there's going to be some drivers that are being extremely aggressive because they have to be or they can afford to be. And then there's going to be some drivers like your Ryan Blaney's, your Kevin Harvick's, your Christopher Bell's that are in this spot where it's like they're not totally guaranteed to move on. But if they just kind of have a solid day, run top 10, they'll probably be good. But at the same time, you can't control what other people do around you, especially at Bristol Motor Speedway. So I don't know what we're going to see. But I do know that the Bass Pro Shops NRA Night Race, it is a crown jewel event. I said it with my chest. I'll say it again. Bristol Night Race, crown jewel event. That means we got two crown jewels in a matter of three weeks. Southern 500, Bristol Night Race, I'm here for it. I can't wait for all the action this weekend, Saturday night, under the lights, short tracking on NBCSN. Lug Nuts of the Week! Cue that funky music, white boy. Guys, the 2022 Cup Series schedule is here, and boy, do we have some ch ch ch, -ch changes First and foremost, the LA Coliseum, that is going to hold the clash officially. That is now official. Yes, officially official. It's official. It's over for my The Morning Drive listeners there. Uh, February 6th, the week before the Super Bowl, the clash at the LA Coliseum. I'm trying to go. For real. Anybody want to send me there? Tom, you listening? Front stretch? Sirius XM? Anybody? I'm really trying to go. That'll be fun. Uh, marquee event. I know that some people are not against it, or not for it, excuse me. Just go to Bowman Gray. Do that instead. Read what I wrote in NASCAR Mailbox this week. One word for you. Television. That's why they're going there. That's why it's happening. Don't hate it. I really don't. I think it's going to be kind of cool, and I'm here for trying new things, so good for them on that. Some other changes that are happening. Pocono loses one date. Worldwide Technology Raceway Gateway in St. Louis gains that date. They've been wanting a cup race for a long time. They finally get it. Richmond still has two races, but both are now in the regular season. So no playoff race for Richmond. Homestead Miami Speedway moves from an inconsequential date in the regular season to an extremely important date of consequence in the round of eight. Vegas, Homestead, Martinsville. That's the round of eight for 2022. That is going to be a hell of a race and a hell of a round. I'm excited for that. You also have Kansas moving a little bit. That's going to be on September 11th. Uh, Darlington's still going to open the playoffs. Watkins Glen moved a little bit later. The all-star race is still going to be at Texas. Uh, Indianapolis, the race is still going to be on the road course there. And again, there's a couple more minute changes here and there. But you can check out my Twitter and check out NASCAR.com. They got all the schedule details there for you but 2022 schedule is now out and about 
I'm happy that it's out. I don't agree with them releasing it two days before a Crown Jewel event, in my mind, and a playoff cutoff race, but that's neither here nor there. Sheldon Creed has been officially announced to be joining Richard Childress Racing for next year in the Xfinity Series full-time. He said that he did not want to be in the Truck Series next year. He gets his wish, moving up to Xfinity. And Justin Allgaier is also returning to Junior Motorsports officially next year in the 7 with Brant as a sponsor. Uh, at JD Motorsports, Colby Howard is out because he is joining McNally Higgleman Racing next year in the Truck Series. Bailey Curry is replacing him for the rest of the year at JDM. The RTA, the Race Team Alliance, they announced Colin Smith as the president of RTA Media, and the RTA is building out a digital media network. Stay tuned on that, party people. Sage Karam, he's going to run Bristol and the Roval in the Xfinity Series for Jordan Anderson. He also ran at the Indianapolis Road Course, and he's going to run the Truck Series race at Martinsville in the three trucks. So an IndyCar driver and Sage Karam coming over to NASCAR on a more semi-part-time basis. We'll see what next year potentially holds for Sage. And last but not least, Richmond penalties. James Small, the winning crew chief, fined 10 grand for one loose lug nut. Kevin Bellacourt, the crew chief for the 77 Spire Motorsports entry, fined 20 grand for two loose lug nuts and suspended for one race because of that infraction. And down in the Xfinity Series, Harrison Burton's crew chief, Jason Ratcliffe, fined five grand for one loose lug nut as well. And that will wrap things up, party people, for this edition of Victory Lane, episode 125. Thank you so much to Ashley Stroline for hopping on. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really, really do appreciate it. I've gotten some notes from some friends and some other people that I'm not necessarily friends with, but I feel like I am now because you guys are telling me that you listen, and I, I so appreciate that. You guys have no idea. Um, if you feel so inclined to do so, it really helps me out. If you go on Apple Podcasts and iTunes and you leave a rating and a review and you tell your friends, you tell your family, say, hey, Davey's got a good thing going. Get in on the ground floor. He's got a great podcast. So spread the word, spread the wealth. I appreciate you guys so much. But we're available wherever you get your pods, Apple, Spotify, Google, SoundCloud. And if we're not available there, drop me a line. We'll try to rectify that issue for you and figure it out. Check out the TikTok for this week on NASCAR's official TikTok channel. Still cranking out content as always, baby. Next week, we'll be back to recap Bristol, preview the round of 12, and everything in between. Peace and love, my dude and dudettes. I love y'all. Be good.